Hi everyone, welcome to the High Point 101 podcast. Throughout these episodes, we'll be learning the fundamentals of what membership and participation in the body of High Point Church looks like. I'm Jason Horton, the pastoral intern at High Point Church, and in this episode, Nick Gibson, the lead pastor, and Jill Reese, his content and ministry coordinator, will be giving an introduction to this membership course. Thanks for listening. everyone. Welcome to HP 101. We're glad that you're interested in becoming a member and uh, learning not just about what High Point Church is like, but what it means to participate in the covenantal community of this particular local church. I am Jill Reese. I am the lead pastor's content and ministry coordinator, and I'm also here with the lead pastor, who is Nick Gibson. Hey. Hello, Nick. So uh, before we dive in, to what membership means for High Point and in general. Um, we're I'm going to just run through what you're going to cover in HP 101. So not this time, but next time and the other following times, you will be learning about our mission, vision, and ministry model as a church, in, including our core values. You'll be learning about doctrine, what we believe um, is true beyond what is true for our church, but than what we model as a church because we believe it's true. Um, you're going to be learning about stewardship, generosity, and the Christian life, and church history and governance. And you'll hear from a number of staff and elders throughout this course, and I'm glad that you'll hear from a, a variety of voices. So to begin about to talk about what membership is and what High Point is, Nick, could you give a brief overview of High Point Church and its existence? Yeah, to start out with what High Point is, um, the sh- very short answer that I give in the Explore course is that High Point Church is a cooperative Protestant evangelical Christian non-denominational church in the Baptist tradition. But just generally, High Point is a non-denominational church um, that is holds the scriptures very highly. We hold a high view of scripture and a belief in personal salvation, that people have to come to salvation themselves. And we think that God is calling us to live that out in holistic and community holiness, so that we need to grow in godliness as individuals, as that affects the formation of families and our lives and our work and all those kinds of things. And in addition, that we belong to this covenant community of the church, that is the unseen body of Christ among all peoples, but that is also institutionalized by Christ himself in the local church, and that the two are one, the universal church that we're in the moment we become a Christian, and being with people who annoy us and are difficult, the within the concrete, truly human institution of the local church are actually one and the same thing. And so we take the local church very seriously, both its health and its vibrancy, but also our commitment to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Nick, what's our mission as a church? Yeah. I mean, we just plagiarized it from the Bible. So the, (laughs) the mission of High Point is to make disciples of Jesus. And then the way we, what we add onto that to try to give it clarity is through gospel connection, growth, and service. So the gospel are the good news about Christ, what his death and resurrection means for us when combined with faith is a, so is a social reality. It's, it's a, it involves connection with God and connection with other people. It involves, um, growth. Like you have to actually develop both in knowledge of the Bible and understanding of the gospel and also in growth as a believer in godliness. Right. And then also it has a service component where to, we're to give ourselves 
to others as Jesus gave himself as a ransom for many, it says in Mark 10, like he pours himself out for us and he calls us to walk like him in those ways. So we're here to, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but we are here to serve our fellow man. Mm -hmm. First, the body of believers as the family of God, but then also all of humanity in our shared dignity in being created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also try to embody that through what we call core values, which I think describes our culture. So we have this mission that Nick spoke to that comes from the, that's very biblical. It comes from the Bible. Um, but then these core values also describe the culture and the feel of how that mission looks in our church. Uh, Nick, could you talk a little bit about those core values and just say what they are and a little bit about them? Yeah. And I think it's helpful for people who want to become members that I am very much of the leadership school that culture is way more important than strategy. And that cult, your culture will define much more about you than your strategy, especially um, in smaller size organizations that are less than maybe 10,000 people. So, so our core values are our primary core values, that is, we're always thinking about these in every single thing that we do all the time, is gospel-centered. It has biblical integrity. It has the proper social components of community. It involves sacrifice. It's not cheap. And it is connected to the context in which we're ministering. So we say the word context, which is short for contextualization. That is, when we minister to people, we're trying to answer and deal with the questions they're really asking and facing, or should be asking and facing, not just whatever we want to say at them. Does that make sense? So we have to go from the scriptures and our theology to the actual concrete people that we're ministering to and apply that theology to what they are dealing with and calling them into what will what will help them, what they should know. So that work. So what that means is, for example, um, I pastored in Panama City, Florida before this, which is like red state country, southern rednecks, outdoorsmen, that kind of thing. I, so I'm a different person here because I'm in a different place with different people. And, and this church is very different than the church I served there. And God wants us to reach the real people. We're supposed to, to use the Christian theology, incarnate ourselves, become the flesh and bones that the people there need. So th- those are primary. And then our secondary core values, which these aren't really secondary. They're secondary in the sense that we work through them systematically about quarterly. So these are the things where we're like, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with this? And we work through these specifically. Um, on a on a periodic basis, especially as a staff and elder team, and that is evangelistic. Are we sharing our faith with others so that they can people can be saved? To leadership development, the people of God tend to do about as well as the leaders of the people of God, and so we need to develop leaders personally and like help them become great leaders. But we also have to make sure that um, we they our leaders don't get destroyed and burned out and chewed up and spit out. So we do a lot to support leaders and develop leaders, and then intergenerational. The, the Bible says is that in the time of the work of the Spirit, the time of the Messiah, the hearts of fathers would turn to their children and children to their fathers and back and forth. That there would be, that the, the Spirit creates an intergenerational love because love is always in its deepest sense going towards people that are kind of different from us in some way or another. Right. And then multicultural and international is the last one that we want to be a, a, a church for all people. That's extremely difficult to do, especially in West Madison, but it's still a fundamental of biblical teaching and unity in the goal of the scriptures that the gospel be for all nations of all people and that they would be one people. And so we do that by partnering with other churches that are predominantly other ethnicities than our predominant ethnicity. But then also than that, we're seeking to become in our own congregation as multi-ethnic and international as possible and being a church for all people to break down all the dividing walls of hostility that we can. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, that that hopefully gives you a flavor for 
our church in particular at High Point. Um, but in general, Nick, why should someone become a member of a church? Um, yeah, I get this a lot, especially younger people who are not in joining generations, which is most generations now. I mean, the builders were the last real generation that like liked to join things. And boomers and younger just kind of have this presumption that like, I don't like joining stuff. I don't want to be controlled that blah, blah, blah. Right. And so let me say just two things about this. I could say a lot about this. Um, there's a great nine marks book called church membership. I think it's by Jonathan Lehman, which is a really short book worth reading. But let me say two things. The first is people underestimate how important forming institutions are in human life. Human beings require institutions that they're not that are not stages for them to perform on, but that are institutions that they must submit to to be shaped into what they must become. So the Marines are still an institution like that. You go there, you submit to the Marines, and they make you into a Marine, right? Marriage is like that for children. Hannah Arendt, I think it was, who said every generation civilization is invaded by barbarians. We call them children, right? So ch- children are wonderful as they are, but their software needs updating immediately and frequently, right? And the family is this potent institution that d- forms children as they need to be formed. In terms of godliness, um, people underestimate, but they're wrong to underestimate how important it was that Jesus instituted an institution that we're meant to submit to so that we can be formed. And so we desperately need the institution of the church and the family to form us in godliness. We just need it terribly. And we don't think we do, and we do. And this is hugely broken down in American society where institutions that used to exist to form people have become platforms on which people perform. So like if you went back 100 years, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, the party picked who the candidate was going to be. And that candidate was formed by the party and did what they were told. Now that's not true. The parties have no say over who their own candidates are. They're just platforms on which people perform. And they aren't formed by the parties, right? And, and, and similarly, lots of organizations and institutions are like that. The church must not be like that. It is under the authority of Jesus Christ. We submit to it and it forms us to be more like him. Of course, it only works well when the church is healthy, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Secondly, sometimes people will say, um, hey, uh, you know, church membership, that phrase is not in the Bible. And I think it's an unbiblical idea, right? And what I say with this is I say, okay, imagine that I was your girlfriend's father and you had been dating seriously. And you were afraid that I was about to have this conversation about like, when are you going to marry my daughter? And I said, listen, I don't care if you marry my daughter. It doesn't matter to me. Do whatever you want. As long as you stay with her forever, you're with her in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, that you have a comprehensive relationship in which you live together, you receive children freely, and you raise them in the, in the admonition of the Lord. You cherish her. You have eyes for no one else. Right? And I go on like that, right? I mean, after a while, what's this guy going to say? He's going to be like, well, you're basically saying I have to marry her without marrying her. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the fact that you haven't used the word doesn't make it any better. Exactly. Exactly. And with church, with church membership, it's the exact same thing. If you go through the Bible and you look at everything the Bible says you must do and be as part of Christ's body, right? You should submit to the elders. You need to receive church discipline. You have to be in fellowship with others and support and help them. You have to bear each other's burdens. You have to admonish each other and teach each other. You have to worship together. You have to, and on and on and on. You put all this stuff together and at some point it wants for a title. (laughs) And so we call it church membership. Does that make sense? We could call it all kinds of other things covenantal discipleship or whatever, Mm -hmm. but we call it church membership because we just do. 
doesn't matter. The name's arbitrary. Does that make sense? So yes. if you, so you could, you could say all you want. Well, you know, church memberships is in the Bible. You, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's just not called that, but all of its, all of its components and more are in the Bible. And by submitting to the concept of church discipline and becoming a church member, you are formally participating in that process in which you are entering into what you must do as part of the local church, including submit to its authority and its elders. Mm-hmm. And in a culture and context where there's choice and you could belong to any number of choice churches or you could not belong to church and just watch online, et cetera, et cetera, there, we need a category for saying this is now you're submitting to the elders. Now you're doing these things and saying that you are submitting to that community and being part of that community. So Right. And covenantal presence and submission to elders and receiving church mm-hmm. discipline are the main ones. So like if you right. if you were like, you know, I'm in college and like I go to the singles group at this church and I like the worship at this church, but I like the preaching at that church. And but like I'm part of church. You are part of church. That's, I mean, that's really good, right? But you are not really part of a church. Because you're not in covenantal union with the people of one church in which they have become your practical brothers and sisters in Christ to live out and embody the spiritual truth that they're all your brothers and sisters, right? Mm-hmm. You, it's like, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work practically. And, and in which, and if you say, well, I go to the, these churches for different things. Okay. Well, which elders do you submit to spiritually? Who has the right to exhort you when you're doing something wrong or discipline you? Mm-hmm. Who has the right to say you have the right to have assurance in your faith because you're following Christ as Christ spoke? He should, said he must be followed and so on. Right. Um, who is your shepherd? Right. The and, whole context of your, of you too, to be able to speak into all of those. Things. Right. Right. And so, and because those are the parts of church life and being part of the church that unless people are taught those things in our modern culture, they tend to have a negative attitude about them. Mm-hmm. They don't think they're important. And if they don't think they're important, then they don't think they're necessary. And if they don't think they're necessary, then they don't do them. Mm-hmm. And so they just don't do church, just don't do church membership. And it's a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, I blame, I mean, you can blame everybody's parents for this and everybody's churches for this, for not making the argument and explaining this to people. Right. But like 60 years ago, it was in the air. It was in the culture. And so people didn't feel like they had to explicitly teach it. And then it turned out that the, the ensuing generations couldn't describe it. They didn't know why they believed stuff. And then when disestablishmentarianism arose, like in the 60s, like let's disestablish every institution because they're all hierarchical and patriarchal and oppressive. And there was this cultural argument that like all institutions are inherently illegitimate in their claims to authority, right? Well, it just was natural. People think that about the church too. And they did. And the family, right? right? And that was a fatal loss. And so by the time the church caught up and said, you should listen to our authority, culturally, they had already been disqualified. And so they just sounded like they were pleading their own case, right? And so it was really hard. So that's why I plead with like these younger generations that are coming in, in my own generation. Like, we need to relearn the biblical doctrine of authority mm-hmm. and all of these doctrines about the local church so that we can flourish under them mm-hmm. in their health. Right. Rather than ignore what God has taught us to do. Because right. listen, if we don't obey these things and your Christian life stinks, you have nothing to complain about. If you do not follow God's directions, you don't get to complain against him. But that's what most people do. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to work in final judgment. Like like you're not going to rise from the dead, be caught to the up to the judgment seat of Christ to be like, Jesus, you didn't blah, 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 blah. He's going to be like, you did not do one thing I told you to do in terms of your formation. And then you wonder why you couldn't do it and you didn't like it. 
All right, rant over. That's good. Um, I've been a part of High Point for 11 years now, and the I've been transformed too because of the relationships in this church, also because of all the things that we're doing outside of our walls, but because of the elders and because of the pastors and because of my peers who have loved me and challenged me and um, confronted me. And that's scary, but it's um, part of being a family and part of being formed in, and transformed and how God uses people to transform us. So I'm, yeah, I, I think pe- people who are members of the church should realize that is the main good that we do. Mm-hmm. The main good that we do is the is instilling and forming people in discipleship in Christ so that they do good everywhere they go and so that they overcome sin and so that they flourish. Mm-hmm. And so there are many people that didn't commit suicide, that didn't get divorced, that um, were parented so much better, that were able to forgive people from a lifetime of wrongs, that like just innumerable goods that are very difficult to financially quantify or even know that we are the main cause of. That is are happening every single day. That is that that is the main good that we do, and the like, non-Christian society and the government is never going to commend us for that, right? right. Even though it is, is quantifiable, there was a study at the university. I think it was the University of Pennsylvania where they took a church and they tried to quantify it. It's good in one year. It was a church a little bit smaller than ours, and they quantified the good at two point seven million that it did to the community. Hmm. Because every time you prevent a suicide, you just saved thirty thousand dollars. That's a really ugly way to look at preventing suicide. But it's true. Every time you prevent a divorce, I mean, you produce fifteen to fifty thousand dollars in value, depending on how you count. Mm-hmm. Every kid that we educate at High Point Christian School, especially every kid who isn't on the voucher system, we save the schools. The school, the public schools, have twelve thousand more dollars to spend, not on that student. Even the voucher kids that we support, like they levy twelve thousand dollars, and we get eight of it. So they just get free four thousand dollars. We created that value. We're educating that kid at a at a lower cost. Like in every single thing that we do, produces value that if you wanted to, you could quantify, right? Every person that we help follow Jesus and they don't commit a crime and they don't go to jail, like all these eventualities that you like, all of those like, like every time somebody doesn't commit a crime and they don't go to jail for a year, that's fifty thousand dollars right there, right? That's that's time in the legal system, all of that, right? So. Yeah, I mean, we save Madison $10 million a year easy. They'll never thank us for that, right? We don't care because what Jesus is going to thank us for is every cup of cold water we gave in his name, every change that happened to rejuvenate the image of God and people through the redemptive work of Christ in the spirit. That is our main work. So you are right about that. Yes. And it's it looks very ordinary, but it's miraculous and amazing. So we're excited that you are w- wanting to be part of that yeah all right all right thanks everybody for listening to this first episode i hope it was helpful and hope it was inspiring and um, i hope it also like poked you a little bit on the idea of church membership and how important that is even if you've never considered it if you want to read more about it that book by jonathan lehman church membership it's a blue book i think if you're looking for it on amazon by nine marks ministries is a helpful place to start mm-hmm. well welcome to hp 101 and welcome to the family we'll see you guys later